This conference is now over. <laughs> wow, what an act to follow. And she says things like calmly talk things over, compromise, let it go. Uh, these are kind of hard phrases to uh, comprehend if you're not married. And if you are married, you know exactly what I mean. Um, when Sandy first asked me to talk, I thought she said she wanted me to talk on 50 years, being 50 years. <laughs> A little different, huh? Add 20 more years to that phrase. So it was an, a privilege for me, but kind of uh, a wow factor to myself to realize I've been married 50 years, 11 months, and one day. So, so I can enjoy this with you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, now, so I went to scripture because now I had to regroup all my thinking. And I went to Titus, Titus 2, verse 3. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. That's me, elderly. Okay, <laughs> so... I hope today my goal would be to present my story, and it is a story, girls. It's a, it's a testimony. It's a testimony in which I would, which wish to relate it to you according to Christian living and standards from God. The role of marriage can take many paths. It can go uphill. It can go downhill. It could go fast forward and sometimes even in reverse. But as long as it keeps moving in the direction of God's plan for you and for your spouse, it is going to be uh, evolving according to his will. Proverbs 3, 5 to 7 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your might and lean not on your own understanding, but in all ways, all ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. In the beginning... <clears throat> Turn with me to Genesis 2.18 when it says, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helpmate, or in some scripture um, verses, a helper suitable for him. Who can give me a definition of helpmate? Nobody's married in this room? Come on, helpmate, what does it mean? A companion, very good. Someone that comes to the aid of another, according to Webster's. So along this way, we have to realize that our, our role in, as a wife in a marriage is to be a helpmate. So um, in the beginning, it's kind of hard if you don't know the man you're marrying. If you get engaged and right away off to the marriage aisle and say, I do, you may come back and say, what did I marry or what did I do or did I make a mistake? Who is this guy? So taking the time to know him to know about your ideals, to know about your goals, to know about what you'd like to have in your future together, to know about children. These are things that takes time to get to understand and to uh, become one in one ideas. But unfortunately, when I got married, I was barely 20, 
And um, there's a lot more things in my mind than goals in a marriage. Or do I want children? I had other things in mind. And I know my husband-to-be had lots of ideas on what was on his mind. But we were married in November of 1968. And we went on a vacation in... 1969 to Phoenix, Arizona, to uh, visit some relatives. But it was hot, 112 degrees, no wind. It was just, uh, get me out of here. So we continued our journey in our car, and we went to San Diego. Everybody talked about San Diego, so we decided to go to San Diego. And when we came here, we found paradise, Shangri-La, the beach, far from our hometown of Chicago. So we decided this is where we wanted to live. This is where we wanted to spend our life, raise our children, and be together with. So we decided to leave our car there. We got it stored, and we flew home. And on our first-year anniversary party, uh, we announced to our families and friends that we were moving, that we were moving to San Diego. And so this was never mentioned beforehand. We never talked about it like we could have. Uh, but it was just something that him and I thought we would have an adventure and to um, go on our own and to be independent. But to our families, this was quite a different story. Chicagoans don't leave Chicago too often. My family's still there. My cousins, my second cousins, his folks are still there, and uh, his relatives and, and uncles and are still there. They don't leave. And here we were, the youngest of the family. He was the youngest of his family. And we're going to San Diego, California, home of the nuts and fruits. <laughs> we're going. So I can, we had really no plans of leaving Chicago when we first got married. But when we decided to go, we right away went ahead and put our uh, notice into our jobs. We said goodbye to our family and friends. We rented a U-Haul, and, and then they helped load us up. And I can still remember pulling away from the parking lot with my mom and his mom being arm in arm, crying, bawling, just out of sorts. And then I looked over to the fathers, and the fathers were just waving goodbye, shaking their heads <laughs> down low, like, oh, what are you kids doing? But us, the two in the truck, we were happy. We couldn't wait. We were going on an adventure. We were going to find love and family and and with him and I together alone. And that was something that just wasn't done back then. You know, nowadays, kids do move away from home. They go away to college and find a different city that they want to live in, or maybe it's a job opportunity, or it might be even for financial gain. So it's not too uncommon. We kind of accept it. Uh, you know, here we were born and raised in Chicago, went to San Diego. My daughter lives in New York, and my son lives in Nashville. So you can't always um, have the family unit like it was years and years ago. We're in a different world today. Okay, so we were married five years before we decided to settle down and have a family. Five years. So we went bicycling on the beach. We went roller skating. He learned to surf. I learned to body surf. And uh, our life was really together because we only had each other. We didn't have family to run to. We didn't have good close friends that we went to school with. We didn't have relatives that we could lean on, so to speak. And of course, everybody was expecting us to come back. So we gotta make it. We can't go back as a failure saying that you were right all the time. So it really forced us to turn to one another. And I think in a marriage, 
you have to be friends. You really, truly have to be friends. You have to learn that in friendship, it's a give-and-take relationship. Think of your best girlfriend, Sandy. Well, it's, 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 it's give and take. It's times when you can become frustrated, but you're able to be free enough to tell that person what you're really feeling or thinking without losing their love, without losing their relationship with you. And so that should be so with our mates. We should be a friend to them. Now, for those of you that aren't married, this is something you could put on your to-do list, be a friend first. Those of you that aren't married very long, Hopefully you have that friendship, but if you don't, I strongly encourage you to build on it and to, to have someone that you can trust like you trust in the Lord, someone that you can go to freely like you can in the Lord, someone that will hopefully be a good listener like our Lord always is to us. And in doing so, that relationship that we have with Jesus is going to slip over into the relationship that you have with your husband. So in the beginning... We didn't really realize how precious those five years being alone really were as we become into the second phase of the middle years. Ah, middle years. Did I mention that we had twins? Okay, we had a boy and a girl twin. It really was the jackpot, Scott and Carrie. But you have to remember, we were young, and we were never parents before, and we had no idea of parenting, and we had no family to rely on at that time either. So it was an adjustment. We had a new home, very little money, and so the time that we spent together was really quite uh, uprooted uh, after having the twins. When I came before my, I came home from the hospital, we had decided that when I first get home with the twins, we want to be alone for a couple of days. We don't want Grandma to be there just yet, and his mother to be there just yet. You know, we want to be alone. We're going to have our little family together and, and just get settled in quietly. And then, and then my mom can come. And after that, your mom can come. But, but in the beginning, we wanted to be alone. <laughs> well, after he picked me up from the hospital, oh, did I mention I had a C-section? I had a C-section as well. So coming home from the hospital, and in those days, we didn't have car seats. So I'm sitting in the front seat with two babies, crying all the way home. Um, we arrived in the house and the babies continued to cry all alone. And this is something that puzzled us because in the hospital, they slept. <laughs> they, they never, they, they never woke up. They're quiet. We had angels from the beginning. But once we got in that car, I don't know what it was, but all of a sudden they woke up and realized that they were stuck with us as parents, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. But so before we got, over that first weekend, it was a Friday, Jack was saying to me, I think you better call your mom now. I don't think I'm going to make it through the weekend, babe. I'd like to, but I know I can't. So my mother was gracious enough to get on the next plane and to, to come to the house and help us. So after a while, oh, I forgot to tell you, too, I was overdue with twins. So I could put a dinner plate on my tummy and still have room to spare on the other end. So you can imagine what, I, what, what I, the vision I must have been. Okay. So when mom came, mom wanted to do everything to help. Help me, help Jack, help the babies. So she was doing everything, it seemed to me. And uh, she would do the cooking and the laundry and a lot of the housework, and I was doing the attending of, uh, to the babies. So about two months, 
went by, and Mom was there about three weeks when this happened. We had a camper and a truck that we used to go camping with. So one day, my honey comes home and says to me, from work, and says to me, I, I need to talk to you. Oh, okay, babe, fine. In the camper. Okay, I'll be right out there. So we get into the camper shell, and we're talking, very quiet, very solemnly, and all of a sudden, he says to me, Babe, I can't do this anymore. Excuse me? I, I just can't do this anymore. I've had it. I've tried my best. I was patient, you know, and it, this is not what I had in mind, and um, it's too much work, and I just, I just don't want this anymore. And I'm saying, really? Okay. And he says, yeah. He said, you know, I went from being first place in your life for five years. First place, it was you and me. And now all of a sudden, I'm in fifth place, and I don't like it. I don't like being in fifth place. So I'm thinking, fifth place? Let's see, we had the twins, and, and then he should be third, no? Yeah, first two, three. I said, what are you talking about, fifth place? You're in third place. He said, no. He says, I'm not in third place. So I said to him, well, explain to me where this number five's coming from. And he says, well, there's the twins, and then there's your mother. And I'm saying, my mother, well, you know, I've got to be good to my mother. She's doing everything. I can't, can't do without her, you know. So I said, I do kind of maybe tend to bridge the tension between you and her all the time, and maybe I do stick up for her all the time. But it's, she's my mom, you know, and, and she came out here to help us. And I said, so that makes, all right, so that makes you, you know, three, four. He says, well, then you've got the puppy. Did I forget to mention? We got a puppy. Talk about being crazy. We got a sheepdog puppy. And that was only, he was only about, I think, a month and a half old. So still not potty trained, still running all over, crying at night. So between the twins crying at night, we also had a puppy crying at night. And he says, and then, then there's me. So you see where I got five? The two twins, your mother, the dog, and me. And I sat there and looked at him and I said, buddy, you're on the list. I'm not even there. Where am I? You know, so fifth place looks pretty good to me. You know, I, I, I don't know what you're thinking of, but I think fifth place looks good. So, so what do we say is time to talk? But, you know, how do you talk about something you don't really know about? We never talked about parenting. We never talked about having to uh, come from just him and I to being a family. You know, it does take time. Babies don't wait if they're hungry or want to be changed. Babies have tummy aches and headaches and colic. You know, Jack doesn't, thank goodness. You know, that would have been really hard to deal with. But um, So... We did try to work things out, and one of them was, I said to him, you know, well, what's with the business with my mom? You know, why are you, you know, she's helping us. Why are you so resentful? He goes, well, I don't like the way she makes the chili. She makes the chili like water. I don't like it. And the way she folds my shirt, I can't stand the way she folds my T-shirts. And he says, you know, I don't like the way she does the laundry. And I'm looking at him like I'm in outer space. Like, what? You have clean shirts. You have food in your belly. What do you care what it tastes like? You know, just eat it. Because he didn't, but it wasn't what he was used to. It wasn't the same. It was outside of his realm of comfort zone. So we had to adapt. So um, 
One of it was that we needed to spend some time alone, away from mom, the house, and the kids. So mom says, why don't you guys go out to eat and just spend some time together? So I think we went to Denny's, woohoo, but it was okay. <laughs> I, I, I took it because I haven't been out of the house for, you know, eight weeks. So to me, it was paradise just being in there. And I can remember sitting there looking at all the people with my mouth open. They're so big. They have beards. They have hair on their heads because they've been looking at these two bald heads for eight weeks. And so to be out in public and really see adults, you know, that are walking around dressed. I mean, I was like amazed and Jack keeps saying, close your mouth, babe. This is just a restaurant. Close your mouth. It's so you're going to be okay, babe. Just, just, it takes time to get used to it, you know, but I can remember that because I was so ingrained with just those babies and I was breastfeeding. So, you know, feeding time was every hour you know it was mealtime all the time so but it begins with being a good listener and understanding and not to criticize and not to judge but to point out a solution they used to say if you don't have a solution you're part of the problem so how can you be a solution to your to your husband so uh, we started having date night at least once every two weeks, and that was fun, except we had to have some ground rules because what happens when you're new parents and you go out alone? You talk about the babies. Aren't they cute? We love them. Oh, they're so sweet. They're getting so big. I don't want to talk about the babies. I'm a wife. I'm a woman. I want to be romanced. I want to be cuddled. I want to feel like I'm on a date, a real date again. Just those little basic 101s. But you can't help not talking about those doggone cute kids. So, our so one of our ground rules we laid is we were tried not to talk about the kids when we were on the date. That didn't last very long. But at least it was a start. It was a good intention. And then the other thing we decided is that it wouldn't help to go to a movie because you don't sit and talk at a movie. You just watch a, watch a film. So but we would do something like just go for a walk on the beach or just uh, go window shopping, or we would go down the pier and walk down the pier, try to spend time together. And even just sitting close to each other in the car, you know, just being, you know, I want to be a girlfriend again, and he wanted to be a boyfriend again. Because the role of parenting is so overwhelming, it absorbs you, it zaps you, it drains you. And, and a lot of women, when you say, especially when they have little kids, you know, when it comes to nighttime at bed, they want to fall asleep faster than the kids do. They're exhausted. That's the last thing in their mind. And all dad's thinking about, good, I wish I gave her a glass of wine, and now we're really going to have a good night, you know. So, but again, coming from two different perspectives, you're two separate human beings. And as you know, if you are married, you can't expect your husband to make you happy. You make yourself happy. And how do you make yourself happy? By going to our God. That is how you're going to find your fulfillment and your happiness. Get on your knees, open your Bibles, uh, begin to pray to him when things get rough or things get frustrated because he's there for you. He's always there for you. He will not judge you and he will not forsake you. And when you get filled from him, filled with the Holy Spirit, then you can come back to earth and deal with the children and the husband and anything else that comes in between. So I think marriage is never 50-50. You might have heard that. Oh, marriage is a 50-50 deal. Everybody gives 50-50%. But then that means you've got to keep track. Okay, how much did you give today? How much did I give yesterday? Oh, I gave twice as much yesterday. You could give more today. 
so it's not it's not 50 50 because that means you have something left that you're holding back so how about 100 percent 100 percent what's wrong with that give your best give all that you can give be all that you can be for him because if you're giving everything to him he's going to turn around and notice that and they do notice women they do notice they're going to come back and give it to you. I used to teach Lamaze classes, and one of the things when I had my dad's class with the fathers, I would say, you know, basic 101. When you're teaching your kids, what do you tell them, the two best words? Please and thank you. How often do you say please and thank you to your mate? Oh, would you get me a glass of water while you're up? I don't feel like getting up off the couch. Would you take the garbage out? It's overflowing again. I keep telling you to take the garbage out. Things like that make a big difference in your relationship. But if you say, gee, babe, could you get me a glass of water so I can finish watching my soap opera and I'll love you forever. <laughs> forever I'll love you for that glass of water. Um, these are the little things that we can use as adult women to try to make the relationship with our husband special, that he can still feel like he's important in your life. So from um, Colossians um, 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. Other areas in our relationship did change too. It's hard to say I'm sorry, okay, when you're tired and frustrated and you feel like you're the one that is giving up so much more than he is. It's sometimes hard to say the words I'm sorry. And as for men, well, I don't want to speak for them, but I don't think they don't even know sometimes what that means, I'm sorry, because not too many men are used to saying it before you do, which then leads to something else, resentment. Why do I always have to be the one to say I'm sorry first? Why is it that I always have to give in to him and do what he wants to do? So we begin to set up this parameters of me and you and I did and you did and this many times and that many times. And all you're doing, girls, is setting yourself up for failure. doesn't matter what he does. It matters what you do. Are you walking the walk? Are you following God's plan for you? Are you going to God with your problems or are you going to your best friend? Not that I ever went to my best friend for that. <laughs> but... If you're having problems in whatever area, you need to get on your knees and go to the Lord. Lord, help me through this. Help me understand this man that you've given me. He's your son. He's your child as well. You created him for me. You placed him in my path. Now help me deal with him in a way that is God-honoring, in a, in a way that is pleasing unto you. And this is not hard. Did anybody tell you marriages work? you got to roll up your sleeves, girls. You're in for another job. So not only you're working outside your home, working, raising children, you're working in a marriage. And there's nothing wrong with good hard work, but you have to realize that it's a part that you have to be willing to give as a helpmate. Okay, let's see here. I want to think about Peter for just a minute. <clears throat> when Peter was in the boat and there was a storm going on, and the Lord appeared to them, and he says to Peter, come, come to me, Peter. Good old Peter crawls out of that boat, starts walking towards the Lord, walking to the Lord, and all of a sudden he looks down and goes, ooh, ooh, I think I'm walking. I think I'm walking on water. But what happened when he did that? He began to sink, sink rapidly. It frightened him. He was scared. He was panicked. 
because he took his eyes off the Lord. And the same thing happens to us women when we take our eyes off our Lord. We panic. We sink. We begin to drown. So the hint is, don't take your eyes off the Lord. When you feel like you're being drained or at your wit's end or that you can't do this anymore, it's a time to get on your knees. It's a time to go to your devotional. It's a time to close your bedroom door and ask, beg for a time out so that you can be replenished. You can be filled. The Lord says you have not because you ask not. So you have to ask for everything that you need. And if that means I need a loving husband, I need some more attention, I need some time to myself, you ask the Lord to show you ways to maneuver your time so that you can have that and to meet your needs. It is is absolutely possible. Sometimes you might have feelings of anger or resentment. So I'm quoting also, as Cheryl said, from Colossians 3.17, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And I have to tell you a little um, sidetrack here. I'm a registered nurse, retired, thank goodness, but I do miss my patients. But, and that's not a virtue I practice, patience. It's just my patients I took care of. Um, <laughs> And we were having our retirement luncheon, and there was a woman there that I worked with for years, and she's Oriental. And she said to me, Cindy, I have to tell you something. When we work together, Tweet 11, we work very hard. We busy all the time. I got to ask you something. One day, we had this bad day at work. Everybody crabby, they're tired. We want to go home. She said, we go into nurse's lounge. We look, what's she doing in there? You're in the bathroom. You're putting on the makeup. You're combing your hair. I look down, you got heels like this on you. We start talking about you. We say, where's she go? Where's she go after work? We going home. We go home to kids. We go home to our husband. Where's she going? So she said, I come up to you because I don't want to talk behind you back. I say to you, where are you going? And she said, what do you mean? I said, where you go after work? You putting on this makeup, you getting all dialed up, you got those big shoes on. Where you go? You got a boyfriend? And I said, yes, I do. I do have a boyfriend. And I'm going home to him. He's my husband. And I want to look my best for him when I get home because I know he's waiting up for me. And she said to me, I just still can't get over that. <laughs> so if we, if we look at our husbands like they are, are still our boyfriends, still our lovers, still the man that we want to spend time with, and we take that extra effort, uh, sometimes that is what really can make a difference between his response to you as your responses to him. Okay. So um, I say to you, I challenge you to think. Now, this is, I know, a different age than what I grew up with, but this, remember, is my story. This is my testimony. Is to say, the challenge is, ask not what you could, your husband can do for you, but what you can do for your husband. Basic 101 Kennedy line, okay? 
We get sometimes get so focused on what I want, what my needs are, where I'm going, what I'm doing. And somebody once told me, you know, Cindy, your husband is not a mind reader. Well, what do you mean? Why would you say a thing like that? Well, you're all upset with him because you want to go to the movies on Friday and you expect him to come home from work and get a shower and get dressed up and, and get all excited because he wants to take you to the movie. And instead he walks through that door and what does he say? Oh, thank God I'm home. I don't want to move from the TV this whole weekend. And so your, you, your ideal of what you're going to do is shattered. Well, he doesn't know that you are planning to go on a date night. He doesn't know that you need to go to the movies to get away from the kids in the house. So you have to take some ownership here. There's nothing wrong with saying, oh, boy, if I got a date for you, babe, I got a babysitter, I already bought the tickets, the car's got gas in it, all you have to do is come with me and change that whole attitude of expecting him to be a mind reader of what you want from him to do. That's good. So I hope you try that. Okay, one challenge. Now remember. (laughs) Okay. So now we're going to go to the present. Okay. Busyness slows down. Emptiness occur. You're more financially set. And then there's retirement. So all these new changes occur in this relationship. So... If you did not build a relationship of that friend I talked about earlier, when you're retired, you don't have kids buffering and taking some of your time away. You just have him. (laughs) So all of a sudden, you know, he could become that daily argument or the critical uh, things that you never used to notice because you were busy with other things, but now it's really, really bugging you. So one of the things that I think is important is that you, you do have hobbies. You can't be with each other 24-7 and still come up alive. You need to have some space. He needs to have some space. And having space is okay. <clears throat> Sometimes I wonder, after you get that emptiness feeling, is you want to look at him and say, Who are you? I don't know you because you don't. You haven't been with them for 18 years uh, on a one-to-one basis. So you have to take the time to know his desires, his ways, his hobbies. So um, during the busy years, you don't have time to do that. But in your slowing down years, you do. So you still want to cling to the man you love. And you still want to work hard to be what he wants you to be. But it's a little bit older because... (laughs) You're walking a little slower, (laughs) not quite the same pace. But my husband, luckily enough, um, decided to take up car racing. And um, yeah, so he buys himself a midget, all excited. Babe, guess what I'm doing? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, he can barely walk. How is he going to drive a race car? (laughs) But maybe that's why he wanted to race so he could get moving again. So we joined this club, and, you know, I don't know if any of you are familiar with racing, but the race track is usually in the middle of uh, a tarred area. There's lots of cars, lots of noise, um, smelly tires, smelly gas, um, a lot of uh, racket going on inside. It's not really the best pleasant place to go on a weekend, but I made up my mind that this is something that he wanted to do. And if I'm going to give him the permission 
because money is involved in this, it's a two-way street, that I'm going to give it a 100% trial, that I will be 100% on his side. So I encouraged him. I encouraged him to join the club. I encouraged him to go to the races. But in the beginning, when we'd go to the races, he was always hanging around me. And I said, these are your people. You go up to the race car drivers and you talk shop, talk tires and engines and whatever else you got to do. Don't don't sit with me. I said, I'll be fine. I said, I've got my Bible study to do and I brought my, my Bible with me. I can do my Bible reading. Go, go have a good time with your friends. But he always felt bad, like he was leaving me or something. So I said, this isn't working. I'm here for you and you're here for me and I don't even want to be here. So, so if you, if you want to, you know, do something for me, you know, let's, let's go out to a nice hotel for the night or something and go out for dinner. So he says, well, I feel bad, you know, I don't want to leave you. And I said, no, I said, this is, this weekend is for you. You go ahead and I'll be fine. When I'm lonesome, I'll come looking for you. Otherwise, do what you have to do. So he really got involved in this. And so I decided that I was going to get involved with him. So I encouraged the other wives, let's have potlucks. You know, we could all each bring something little. We'll get the club to buy the meat, and we can have a great time. And they said, that's a great idea. And then one of the girls, I'm looking at her across the tarmac, and she's got a quilt in her hand. And I'm looking at her. She's quilting. She's in this pits of a racetrack, but she brought her hobby, and she's quilting perfectly content. So I thought, I'm going to make the best of this. I'm going to make this a weekend for me. But I did it in a little different way. I don't know if you know about old antique race cars like midgets and sprinters, but they don't have a starter. They they can't just turn the key and go. You have to have a push truck come from behind them and get up enough speed to get them rolling for that engine to turn on. Okay, so that's how it works. So I said to my husband, how about if I learn to drive the quad and I'll stage all the race cars because they need people to stage them in order for the the tow trucks to come up behind them. So he goes, yeah, sure. Hey, babe, that's really good. Yeah, that would be nice. So I said, okay. So he taught me how to, first of all, drive a quad. And then second of all, how to, you know, get behind the race car. You can't just bang into it. I found out. Um, and, and then you have to put the right amount of speed because if you gun it, your front wheels are going to go up in the quad and the, and the car is going to stay stationary. So you have to give it just enough pressure to get it going and then you could gun it. So I learned. I learned the hard way, but I learned. And um, I found out that the guys that that were in the club kept saying, he said, you know, Jack's so lucky. You know, you're always happy and you you push these guys around and stuff and you always got a smile on the face. And they're saying, you know, what what is it? How come you're like that? And I said, where else can I push men around all day long and they appreciate it? They're not mad at me. They're happy. So making a bad thing good is my point, making the best out of it. So that really uh, made a difference for my husband because then he realized that he wasn't doing enough of the things that I like to do. So we weren't doing um, things like, you know, maybe going to the play or going to an opera or 
um, going out to, to see a, a theater play. So he started doing that for me. I never asked him because I gave up years ago. And so, but he said, you know what? Every day, he would, time would go, he'd say, thank you. Thank you for enjoying this with me. It makes so much difference to have you there. And then my girlfriends, and I won't mention any names, but uh, they would say to me, why do you go? It's 112 in the pits. You hate the noise. You hate the smell. Just tell them no. Just say, you know, you know you've got something other else to do. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I've never seen my husband smile like he smiles when he's in that race car. It is from ear to ear. He is grinning like a Cheshire cat. He is happy. I don't get to see that. That's not the part that I get to see. And I didn't want to miss it. I wanted to be part of it. I wanted to be part of it and share it with him. So that's important. So ladies, marriage is a lot of work. But the worth, the time you put into it makes it all worth it. So from Ecclesiastics 8.15, be joyful. You, what you put into your marriage will come out a hundredfold better. And um, I think one of the things you have to realize is God placed you in that position. When you said, I do, you took the job. And just like any job, you get paid for performance. And so if you're performing your best and not worry about his performance, God will take care of him. It's between you. What are you doing? If you want to say, well, what kind of husband is he? I want you to say, what kind of wife are you? Maybe it starts there. Maybe it starts someplace so simple that you're not even aware of it. Why? Because you took your eyes off of Christ and started becoming centered and to you, your needs, your wants, what you don't have, what you do have, what Susie has and you don't and you should have it, that you begin to sink in your relationship. So go back to the Lord, renew your vows to him of the job of being a helpmate, and then go home under the doors, under the roof of your home, begin to act the role that you accepted. So that would be good. I wish I had Cheryl there after, before I said I do. We might have reconsidered there. <laughs> because she had it right on, nailed it. Okay, so. Um, finding fun, fun things to do together. There are a lot of mutual things that you can do. My husband and I, we did started camping together. We found it as a hobby or we'll ride our bikes at the beach um, to get our exercise in. Find things that you can have fun together with and appreciate those times. And be happy, be joyful that you have this role as a helpmate. Not every woman has it. It's a privilege. God has designed you to be a, a wife and a mother. And this is something that you should take seriously, but take joyfully and with complete contentment. Now, in conclusion... I'd like to say, enjoy every day. Don't try to change each other. It's not going to work. You're never too old to hold hands. Honor God by accepting each other as Christ has accepted you. Be glad to be married. I'd like you to reread 1 Corinthians where it says, Love never fails. It's worth the work. So I would just like to say I was asking some women what they thought of in um, being married more than 35 years. I went to 35, 50s, kind of big. But So I'd say, well, if you could give me one word, what would you say? And the women said, love, 
was number one consensus. Trust, communicate, honesty, and having him be a good listener. So then I went and I asked men, hey, how come you're married 35 years? What's your secret? My husband says tranquilizers, but I didn't want to say that. <laughs> men said respect, not love. They said respect was number one. Sense of humor. Hmm. Mine got kind of rusty through the years. Compromise and kindness. Kindness. Coming from a man, I was shocked. That's the least thing I thought he would say. Clean house, better meals, better cook, you know, cleaner clothes, something like that, more organized. Um, but it really was that they liked, uh, they had mentioned kindness. And um, I found something on, on the internet that I'd like to read to you. It's called Fearless Faith. I think I got this right. Wait, do I? I'm sorry, girls, I got mixed up here. Fearless Faith. There is no perfect life, no perfect job, no perfect childhood, no perfect marriage, and no set of people who will always do what we expect them to. But, but, we do have, what we do have is a perfect God who is able to lead us through this imperfect life with unfailing love, strength, uncomparable wisdom, and infinite love. I'd like to thank all of you for attending this Saturday conference with us. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got some nuggets out of it. And um, afterwards, we're going to have a question and answer time. So all the yes girls, that's Sarah, Cheryl, Sandy, and Cindy. Wasn't that easy? And we're going to sit up front. So if you have any questions or answers, or even if you want prayer, um, please feel free to come up and stay with us. Okay? And, and also at this time, I would like to thank Pastor Bill and Patty. Patty, stand up for us, Pastor's wife. Come on, Patty. Thank you. For this beautiful church, the air-conditioned air room, the sound system. Thank you for the sound system. You did a great job. Thank you. Okay. Okay. And now I'm going to close in prayer. <clears throat> Abba, Father, we come before you humbly as your daughters. Thank you for this opportunity to give us the time to stop our busy lives, to sit at your feet, to sit at the throne of Christ and hear what you would have us be. I ask you to soften our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, that we may be the women that you would have us be, that we would be the wives that our husbands would like us to be and mothers of our children. Help us to go through this role with joy, contentment, and peace, knowing that you are in control, and as long as we have our eyes set on you, Heavenly Father, you will always, always be there for us. Go with these women as they go back into the world in their lives and into their roles. Help them to remember one thing, one little nugget that might make a difference for them in their marriage. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.